So, guys, welcome for the uh, the Sunday uh, morning in UK and uh, Sunday afternoon here in Thailand. I'm glad to see you. Amit has a question, and so I'll let you take it from there. Amit, what's your question? Yes, so my question is about the concept of anatta, which is translated as no self, and this is very very confusing. So if there is no self, then uh, who is meditating? What's the point of uh, yes. meditation? Or, that, yeah. that actually, the concept, you called it correctly, of anatta in Western Buddhism is, in fact, confusing and leads people into speculating about irrelevant stuff like what was i in the past and who will i be in the future and what's in between this and that and uh uh who am i what am i uh is it the self that looks at the self or is it the no self that looks at the self or is it the no no self that looks at the no self <laughs> this is all by the way old hindi or old um indian philosophy because this was an issue way back when and the buddha came down on one side of it now before we go any further let's start looking first off at translations because this is where the key to all of this lies so let's start with mahatma gandhi you certainly have heard his name yes do you do you know what mahatma actually breaks down to so Maha is like great and Atma is soul. So it's great soul. All right. So maybe Anatta is no soul, not no self. That it's translated wrong is the word self, where in fact the whole point of it in the first place was soul. And the Buddha talks about no soul in the situation of that there is nothing actually permanent permanent strong long-lasting capable of surviving death capable of becoming a football to be kicked around by other greater souls like a god or the common machine or something like that but it's still even though you get kicked around you don't get wiped out all right that's the whole idea of a soul. It's permanent. Well, hello, Cat. How are you doing? Good to see you, friend. Good to see you. <laughs> I'm doing good. Wow. I'm doing good, thanks. Yeah, we're back on that joyful point about who am I and uh, to be or not to be or what is a self and what is a not to and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, souls. And, okay. Yeah, the soul, right. Soul. I, I, I've got two of them and when I'm having fish I have three okay <laughs> I got a soul on the bottom of each foot but when the foot's gone so is the soul <coughs> and when the fish is eaten it's gone too so all of the kinds of souls that I know of are temporary transient subject to decay disillusion, rotting down, disappearing altogether. 
but in um according to one of my really really good friends who's done the research that i didn't have to do he says that it came in at about 800 bc when there was a time in india where the brahmins were being really cornered about why they should own all the land and the reason they got all the land is because all the people who did have land over time died they wanted the funeral and only the brahmins could uh, could do funerals and guess what their funeral fee was <laughs> and, and is that not true still in india anybody here in india know about that i mean it's still a tradition yeah it's still going on well they were challenged with the point of well why should you do the ceremonies i mean joe blow he's got even a um, a machine to help burn up the bodies why don't you let him do it and the brahmins would say oh no only the brahmin can do this you've got to be born brahmin that you were not brahmin you were not brahmin because you were not born brahmin and the reason you were not born brahmin is because you're not as good as we are and we're the ones who do the religious ceremonies okay so this is how it got started and so then the next question would be well what was it that determined how you're going to be reborn and here comes the whole issue of the law of karma and uh the idea of a, uh, of a soul just merely for political power way back hundreds of years before the buddha's time but it had controversy then and the buddha was only one of them who had uh points of controversy that in fact you could go so far as to say that by the time that the buddha was born they had a uh, an equivalent of what we would call modern philosophy with the universities full of philosophers philosophizing about the, what the brahmins would say just like the philosophers of today keep pondering over what the catholic church said centuries ago so we can take it from there then that when the translators ran across this word anatta they were all christian by the way and they believed in the soul and they're not about to go translate this word anatta correctly they're going to make it really ambiguous and hard to understand so they're going to translate it as to no self which causes a great deal of confusion okay because the whole issue of it being a soul or not is whether it's permanent or not. And if it's permanent or at least semi-permanent, then it's also very, very, very slow to change. But if in fact it's nothing but a personality, then bang, you can change a personality just like that because a personality or a person is fluid depending upon the circumstances. I mean, when you were a child, you spake as a child. You don't do that anymore because you're in different circumstances now. So the circumstances define who we are a lot of the time, and we really let it do that. And here's got a chance of defining who you are on your own terms. Figure out what kind of personality you want to have and then have it and enjoy the heck out of it. So. This is a way of looking at it is, is that it's actually so confusing because it's badly translated. 
And a better way of translating it also, without even using the word concept of, um, of, of soul and permanency, is to use the word selfishness. Because you really know what selfishness is, okay? Is there a self or not is answerable by is there selfishness or not? Because when there is selfishness, temporary thing, then there is a self that is being selfish. And when there is no selfishness, then who's the self that is not being selfish? He's gone. That makes it really easy, doesn't it? All we have to do is to stop being selfish. And the best way to stop being selfish is by stop being afraid of things. To be open to the world, to be open to reality. That is not as dangerous as we have been trained to believe since childhood. And why were we trained that way? Because everybody around us also was kind of afraid and terrified. Governments will do that to you. But so will religions. Sometimes the company store. And sometimes even the universities will do it to you. But the point is, is that you do have a choice to see the advantages that they have taken of you and put that to rest. Let it go. Set it down. And boogie on down the road. You don't need them anymore. And all you have to do is keep remembering this, that you're free, that you're free, that you're free, that you are not the personality that you have developed all of these years. That in fact, the personality that we developed all these years, we put a lot of time and effort in it. Kind of hard to let it go, to experiment around, to become something or somebody else's, not what we're supposed to be. And so we actually need to have permission to do this. We also need to know that we have the power to do this. I can do that. I can change. I can change the way I behave. I can put a big smile on. I can find someone in there, too. There's always a smile in there. You got to find it, you know. And so uh, basically in this regard, what we're talking about is a change of attitude. If you have a soul that's fixed, how can you change its whole attitude, its whole perspective of life? I mean, its life is really long and really dangerous for a long time. But if there's no soul there, that means that everything is temporary and everything can be changed fairly easily right here, right now. So, in fact, the belief in rebirth and reincarnation is a prison in and of and on itself. It's designed for primarily to control people. And it's got some very, very interesting side effects, like a lot of people who believe in rebirth and reincarnation say, hey, man, this life is so tough, all I can do is give a little penance to the church and maybe next time I'll get a better chance. Well, right now, I cannot sit down and look at my own mind. I just can't do it. I'm not up to it, folks. <laughs> and isn't that the attitude that so many people have? They want a second chance because this one's not good enough. Recognizing that right this very moment, you got a second chance. Hey, wake up. You got another chance right now. 
Never mind, start again right now. So this is the, the teaching that actually um, is a dangerous teaching because so many people want that, let us say, security blanket of a do-over. They want the security blanket of the soul that even though it doesn't change and can't change, at least it's going to survive into the next life and somehow survival winds up being the most important thing that people have going. And it's funny that the people who were worried about their end of life and survival and all of that kind of stuff, they wind up being at war with one thing or another where survival actually becomes an issue. But if you don't care so much, then you can just hang back, relax, enjoy the life that you have as long as it's there without having to be so protective of it. But it's fairly doable or uh, durable. It's not permanent. But let's enjoy the life that we've got now. That we can, in fact, come into a state of wow of joy, uh, this is a paradise. It's available to us at any moment when we recognize that we can incorporate that into our personality. That sense of joy can be part of your personality. It can be part of the package. All you have to do is pick it up, practice it, shine it up, put it away, bring it out often, and let it become part of your personality. Because you can change. You can lighten up. You can look at what's going on. Okay, so that's in fact what enlightenment is all about. Is to, is to look. That's what the word light in enlightenment means. It means to turn the lights on, shine a light on it. All right? Why do we do that? So we can see it. All right, so the light that we're going to shine on it is the light of awareness. We're going to shine the light. We're going to look at what's going on. And what we're going to do is we're going to wind up finding what's in there that's heavy. We're going to go look for the heavy stuff. And now the second part of enlightenment is to lighten up by letting go of the heavy stuff. And now you, you're really strong because you've been carrying around all of that heavy stuff with all of those thoughts all the time. The Buddha talked about it in the sense of burning by day and smoldering by night, which means the dreaming. And when we put all of that stuff down, we are boundful with energy to the point that it's hard to sleep because you're not weighting yourself down with all of that stuff that you thought was you which was just merely part of the baggage of personality. And who is a personality? That's me, so they think. Oh no, whatever the me is, is not the personality, that in fact the personality is better stated as your image to the world of what you think you ought to be. So we're following the rules there. In fact, it's the superego that determines our personality, not the id or the child underneath. The natural self is being bossed around by your rule system. And there's freedom from that. 
you can become free from that so that you don't follow your own rules anymore. You learn to live uh, naturally in this present moment, leaving that with the only thing that we've got just right now. And right now I can be anything that I want to be. Jason. Hey, Susan. Hello. Yeah, I have a question about the superego when you mentioned it. Uh, recently, I was in therapy and uh, I had this, uh, you know, this empty chair from from three spells. It's like uh, yes, an empty yeah, chair. I'm surprised people are still doing empty chairs with blitz pearls. I knew all about it. He was a hot dog when I was uh, in training. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, we do. I did this like a month ago. No, sorry, two months ago. And and ended up. Sorry for my English. I had to explain it in a way. Maybe you're doing just fine. Mistakes. So ended up that the the underdog was trying to strangle the, the top dog. Uh-huh. Like, so I was so angry about the top dog always like telling me like every second what was wrong, guilty or whatever, you're guilty, whatever. So I was asking to myself, is that what I think I am, the underdog or, uh, or the top dog or who is the, who I identify with? I, I'm not sure about it. This is for me is uh, confusing. Well, that's an important point to come to. That's an important question to first ask and then stop asking it. All right, and here's what I mean by that. I'm playing with your leg, of course. I mean that you're in a dog fight. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we first all see ourselves as the underdog who is being attacked and trying to protect ourselves and that the underdog is the one who will be the most vicious, the cornered animal. Okay. Mm. The winner is kind of playing like the mouse, like the cat with the mouse. He, the, the cat's playing with the mouse or in a way, uh, even a mongoose will play with a cobra because the mongoose got thick uh, fur, uh, genetically kind of immune to the poison, and also he's there fast. And so that snake gets tired because it's cold-blooded, keeps striking and hitting the air and not getting anything, and then the mongoose can get him, right? But in the beginning, we think that it's all a great big battle. Top dog, bottom dog, all right? So whenever the loser is losing, they're the ones who will get the most vicious, the cornered animal, okay? You can see it in politics, especially in the United States today. You can just guess which party is the most vicious and figure out whether they think they're top dog or whether they actually understand that they're on the, they're on the bottom, right? So that's the whole point of it is, is that uh, uh, human standards will vary depending upon whether you're the top dog or the underdog, that if you feel oppressed, in other words, if the merchandise in that store is too expensive, then it's okay for me to go shoplift part of what I buy. You ever had that thought? Wait, wait, wait. Oh, let me think about that again. Okay. You you've, got, you, you've got a store, 
Okay, uh, uh, a business that sells stuff like a Walmart or Kmart or uh, uh, Tesco, whatever, and you think that their merchandise is too expensive. Mm-hmm. Therefore, that gives me permission to shoplift part of what I buy from them. Okay. It's okay to put it in my pocket because I've already decided that their stuff is too high. You see, I've took, they've taken the, the, uh, the victim's position. The victim is often the most violent. Because the top dog, he's already on top. Why waste the time? So even when you see people acting vicious and still look like the top dog, that's what we call a bully. The one who is no matter how much top dog in reality he is, he still feels like he's the underdog. That's why he keeps fighting back. Mm. All right. So here's the point, though. Both the underdog and the top dog are in Duca, but the top dog's got a much easier go of it. So the first thing that we're doing in uh, the Dhamma is gaining ourselves into the top dog position of getting ourselves confidence, getting ourselves understanding that we can handle that Duca. But eventually, we'll give that role up in, in the guise of, well, Hey, man, I don't have to warrior against Duke anymore because I don't see any. (laughs) 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 So I can just now relax completely. Okay, so that's the end of it is is that we have to go through this uh, phase from negative or on the bottom on to the top. And then almost like a launching ramp up to be become above the world. So. Another example of that would be, um, I've heard the expression, everyone is an emperor of their own pile of dirt, right? Are you going to be buried under your pile of dirt? That's the victim. Are you going to be clawing your way to the top? That's the winner. Are you just simply going to sit on top of the world? That's the transcendent. That's the noble. And all three of them are merely attitudes. And so we have to gain from that attitude of I'm buried into my stuff into I can get out of it into I am out of it. So in the dog fight, you're out of the dog fight. You're not a top dog and you're not a bottom dog anymore. Let the dogs fight. (laughs) I don't have a dog in that fight anymore is the way to look at it. Okay. And so there's a lot of expressions then we can come up with that will help this. And one that I like very much is the one, not my business. <laughs> okay, that politician is a thief. Not my business. That politician may be president someday. Not my business. Oh, they're banning the books in that particular school over there. Not my business. Oh, the global is warming. Well, I can handle the heat. That's not my business. Okay. This is the beginning to realize that everything out there that I can't control, I can't control. Why do I keep wanting it to be my business when in fact it's actually not my business? All I have invested is an opinion. (laughs) And that opinion hurts. 
when I don't get my way. <laughs> and so the easy way out of life is to stop having opinions about other people and other things. That this is actually the two-step process that we have. Um, the first one is the personality view is the first better, and then the second better is our relationship to the world, including all of the rules that we've had. This is what the Buddha calls Sila Bhatta Paramasa. And these two things run and circle around each other, and this and the way that they interact defines who you are. Or another way of saying it is is the way that the child inside reacts to all the rules that the child has picked up over the years. And we pick up these rules to oppress ourselves into a box that we think we should be in so that we can be safe there. See, we don't the ultimate thing is is to avoid punishment. Is to not get caught. There's two ways to not get caught. And we all do both sides of that. Sometimes we don't get caught because we don't do it. And sometimes we don't get caught because we're good at hiding it. And we don't want to get caught. We don't want it to be exposed. We want to continue to hide it. And when those are psychological things in the mind, we don't want to know. We go into a state of denial. That's why the second noble truth is better stated uh, is that the cause of suffering, greed, ill will, and delusion. It's not so much of simple ignorance because simple ignorance will listen to the facts. No, it's the delusion. We've already made up our minds. Um, And an example of that would be, for instance, arguing. People who argue almost all the time, they're in a game of uh, uh, yes, but. And no matter what you say, they'll come back with something new, something different, even if they contradicted themselves just a moment from a moment ago. And they argue and argue and argue. And when you confront them on the argument, what are they going to do? They're not going to say, hey, yeah, that's right. I argue too much. No, they're going to start arguing again. (laughs) Why? Because they don't want to see. That's the denial in it. And in fact, this is why some uh, particular diagnoses um, within uh, psychology and and, um, uh, psychiatry is because the people will play these games to protect themselves. They would rather protect who they have, even though it's broken, than actually look at how it is broken so it can be fixed. Or you've heard it in the statement of, there are none so blind as those who refuse to see. So this is the primary, um, uh, let us say, drawback or uh, problem with the teaching of the Buddha in general, is because people really want to protect themselves. There's another part of that, and that is um, there's a Bible verse. The Bible verse says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You've probably heard that before, right? Right? There's more to it than that. The full statement should be, 
ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, but first it's really going to piss you off. Okay, and that's the second noble truth right there. <laughs> that's it. We are in the state of denial and we don't want to see. This is why part of the path of the soda pond is the one who says, by the way, if I don't look and accept what's wrong with me, I'm not ever going to change. I'm going to continue to deny it. Why? Because I don't like it. So what in, in their go is that we can, in fact, make friends with our dark side to go in, explore, find out what's really there and accept ourselves the way that we are because we actually are good enough. That whatever it took, you're here in the present moment. Whatever your past was, it didn't wipe you out. <laughs> And so it's probably a pretty good past. It got it, it kept you alive. And that's all you need from that past is to know that you're alive right now. So, so Tapana, with, yes, go so ahead. Tapana is the one with, uh, you talk about two fetters, right? The first one is a personality view and the second one is a Sila Pata Paramasa. So yes. rules and regulations. And Sotapana mm -hmm. is one who is out of these two fetters, or there is more more to that? Um, I would say that the short answer to who is a Sotapan would be someone who is absolutely dedicated to the Dhamma. That that's all he cares about. He walks the Dhamma, he talks the Dhamma, he thinks he wants to be a meditation teacher, he actually is a meditation teacher, he won't shut up about the Dhamma. And he is delighted with the Dhamma. He sees the Dhamma in everything. And he's enthusiastic about it, wildly enthusiastic. He'll tell anybody who calls him on Skype to talk about it. <laughs> okay, so this is what the Sotapan is really all about. But underlying that is the willingness to look at the warts, the will, willing to look at what the problems are, to be willing to look at all of the things that actually do cause pain when I can't see them. And I can't see them when I refuse to look at them. Now, this step, which by the way is step four, is right smack dab in the middle of the soda pine. It's, it's interesting how we've worked this thing with soda pine in here. Now, let's go to the key ingredient. And the key ingredient then is the step three, which we haven't talked about yet. We've talked about step one in the sense of personality view. Who am I? The actual answer to that is I'm a moving target. The second better is there is danger out there and you picked up on it and kept it around. And the answer to that is, I'm a moving target. I can get out of the way. That's how we handled the seal about the Paramahansa. We could see it and get out of its way. Or in another statement, you can change that critical parent 
into a nurturing parent. So, these are the first two. Now the third one actually can be stated from uh, the Sutta number 24 in the phrase of knowledge and vision of what is and what is not the path. Speaking here specifically about the Eightfold Noble Path. All right. Other places is less, uh, uh, is more obscure, but there's many places <clears throat> that in fact, in Sutta number two, I was referencing before uh, in this conversation um, in the sense of what's worthy or wise uh, attention, like who am I and what was I and all of that. The Buddha in this particular Sutta says that all of that is unwise attention. And what is unwise attention is such that we wind up either feeling bad more or at least feeling bad the same. We don't feel better. And when we have wise attention, then uh, our mood will improve. Now, that's not the way it's stated in the sutta, but you can get the point. All right. So what is then wise attention is the Four Noble Truths. This is suffering. This is the cause of suffering. This is actually the end of suffering as an experiment in the right in the here now. And this is the path to the end of the suffering. The Buddha says when we wisely investigate and wisely see, which is back from the point that I was saying before the Sotapan now, is the one who is dedicated to the Dhamma. What does that mean? It means that he's dedicated to the Four Noble Truths. What does that mean? That means that he's on the alert and aware of dukkha dukkha everywhere and not a dab to step in. So he becomes vigilant, joyfully vigilant. So, that, and why is it joyfully vigilant? It's because he knows now without a doubt, he has the knowledge and vision of what is the way to live our lives and what is not. And what is not the right way, the way that we've been doing it. And what is the right way? Wake up and take a look. Wake up, pay attention. Wake up and look at what you're doing. So, once we come to that stage, only then are we ready for this step four that I was mentioning, which is the, the finally the ability to happily look at our own crap. Why? Because we are always calling it our crap and we're hiding it. We don't want to see it. But now that we've come to understanding the path and what it is without a doubt, full knowledge and vision is what of the path is, is that means that we got to be able to willing to see the dukkha so that we can deal with it. And by now, the dukkha that we can't see is pretty, pretty deep in there, hiding away, kind of the the last kind of stuff to go, um, sort of like, have you ever scrubbed a, a pot? And sometimes you got the thing almost clean, but there's this one place and it just will not get cleaned up, right? What do we do with that pot? We just put it in a drain. We don't clean that part <laughs> and it's bigger next month. <laughs> so with that, 
the whole quality then or the middle point. Think of it like this as a, uh, uh, a, a teeter-totter or a balance that's got a fulcrum in the middle so that you start uphill and by the time that you reach the midpoint, it's at the fulcrum. So the next step and now the bottom stop and now you're kind of over the hill and it's a downhill. The same thing happens when you cl climb any hill that when you get to the top of the hill, something changes because now you keep going. Now you're going downhill after that. So that fulcrum point of that top of the hill is that point where we're actually now willing to look at all of our own stuff happily. Aha, I see you, Myra, really. When we really become happy and, and willing to look at the worst dirt we've got and accept it happily. Yeah, maybe I've killed three or 400 people. That's all right, I'm stop doing that. That's not who I am anymore. I don't practice medicine anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped giving out them bills. I don't do that anymore, you know. And so this is the whole point about being able to change and see that you're changed because you are not your past. And you can think of it. I am not my past. I, I don't do I, I disapprove of that behavior now as who I am now. And when I did that behavior, I approved of it. I'm not the same person. The one who approved of that behavior and do it, now I disapprove of it. So why should I punish the person now for the event that happened back then? Just let it go. Accept your past, warts and all, because then we can see it the next time it comes up. And go, Aha, I see you now. And so this is a basic point that we, once we have knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path, this is the next step, the ability, the willingness to check into what we've done wrong with the idea of getting it out, rooting it out, throwing it out, taking the right effort. And this kind of attitude, by the way, is something that we can begin to develop right from the very, very beginning because this is exactly what we're doing in the very beginning, is just recognizing an unwholesome thought as unwholesome and throwing it out. And now later, we're going to be able to go something to deep ideas and, and concepts and things that used to run our lives and say, hey, I see this too, and I'm going to throw that out. A whole conceptual system can be thrown out because that conceptualized system was not who you actually are. Who you are is a moving target. You are not a fixed personality. You do not have a destiny until you practice one. And a lot of people practice. They practice and practice and practice and keep having a particular destiny. But in fact, you could say that the thoughts lead to speech, which leads to action, which leads to habits which then leads to destiny. And so people do create their destiny by doing the same old stuff, reacting over and over again in the same way, instead of making choices to play. Everything's a new toy. Let's play around. Let's not have fixed ways of doing things anymore. Experiment. Have fun. Find that wow factor, because it's in there someplace. That's the first jhana, by the way, is that 
wow, I am in paradise. Oh, look at this. <laughs> And so we can bring ourselves to that by recognizing that we deserve that, that there is no repercussion for it. So you have the power, you have the, the potency, you have the permission, and you also have the protection. What is the protection? That, hey, your life can be wonderful, and that's okay. You're not going to have to pay hell for it because you have heaven now. You can go ahead and have some heaven and have some more heaven. It's up to you. There is no hell to pay. That's just an old rule. How many of you have that rule? Oh, there's hell to pay. <laughs> and recognize that that's just part of that underdog's position of there's hell to pay if I do do this. No, go ahead. Enjoy your life. Yeah, yes, she's, she's, yes, complete. This is completely true. This uh, we did this as well. This um, polarity exercises. So, like uh, going to the dark side to, uh, and embrace the dark side, embody the dark side, and that was uh, that was the, the 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 moment that I say, well, this this is just not me. And this is not as important as I thought it was. Before it was like, oh, this past I have is so heavy. I'm going to carry it forever, like a chunk of whatever. It's not, I, I, once you go there, it's like, oh, it's not so important. It's nothing. It's just, it's nothing there. It's just the, <laughs> it, it was, it was nothing. No, it's like, no, not, not important at all. It's okay. Right. Exactly. There's, there, there was no dog fight after all. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there never was a dog fight. That was Fritz Perl's thing. <laughs> He'd been dead for years now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been for four years and years. It's like, wow, it's so easy. It's like, it's not nothing that, important about it. Right, but it's very valuable as part of the wake up is to see those analogies and recognize that we do set ourselves in one down and one up positions. And if that's if that's our only choice, then let's choose to be the one up. Because up is up. And when mm -hmm. we get up, the rest of the hey, why should I turn around to fight down? Why not just keep going up? Up into that's, the noble existence. So that's that's the uh, an easy way to understand it. That yes, we're going to keep having wholesome thoughts because they're not heavy. They're lightweight. That will take us up. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I was just gonna say uh, about the hell thing. You know, you don't you don't have to have only Christian hell. You can also have communist hell. <laughs> Everybody's got a hell. Yeah. Where, wherever it is that you don't want to go, that's your hell. <laughs> yeah. and, and people uh, wind up there often. <laughs> they know what it's all about. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, you said something about, um, you know, like you, you, you get away from that, that learned wave pattern of seeing your life and yourself and your learned thoughts and all that stuff. And then you feel like, okay, but I'm going to get punished for the heaven for, for just, you know, mm -hmm. now that will come that thing that you said, can you just like, cause sometimes, um, that protective 
urgency, that nature that I've, not nature, but like learned pattern to like, wanna, oh shit, now I'm feeling okay about everything again. Is that gonna, is that bad? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that, mm-hmm. that hell that you said, that really has struck me as something I'm going through sometimes. Good for you that you can catch that. I, I see you, my little hell, my little pet hell. <laughs> My favorite little pet hell. Yeah, I see you. So you want to come and jump in my lap and burn me, huh? I know you. <laughs> and so when we can see the stuff like that, it's it takes the power out of it to overwhelm you and turn you back into a victim by being able to play with it like it was a toy. That puts you in the position of being the winner, being on top. I mean, it's just what a little bad feeling. I mean, it's just a hell. There's nothing to it. I got a joke, by the way. The Christian and the uh, uh, atheist were standing on a, a street corner as a Buddhist walked by. And he heard the atheist say, uh, there ain't no hell. And the Christian answered angrily, the hell there ain't. And the Christian mused as he walked by, he says, hell, they're both in it. (laughs) So anytime that we get hot, that's a hell. Anytime that we get in a position of not liking something. I mean, think about the qualities of hell. What are the what is hell? A lot of people have the idea that it's pain, but basically the reality is, is that it's that we really want out of here. Even if I have to die, I want out of here, but I can't die. Somehow or another, I'm in hell and I don't have any control over it. So hell is an, uh, it's, it's kind of like a prison. And it's kind of like uh, a feeling of insecurity. And that, in fact, a a very perfect place to describe that people understand that so close to this condition is an airport. I mean, there you are, you're trapped. You don't like anything. I mean, it's it's crowded in this hell. And so they put big, expensive architecture, thinking that all these rats on the ground are going to think, oh, this is a heaven because the the, the ceiling is so high. But everybody knows that every airport is hell. Same thing with train stations. How about doctor's office waiting rooms? Is that a hell or what? (laughs) So the same thing is true about our own private hells. Is it anything that we don't like where we're feeling trapped? I mean, back to uh, Fritz Pearls and his top dog and underdog, doesn't that underdog feel like he's trapped? He's in hell. He can't get out. And so we get into that kind of... Pardon? It's exactly that. It's exactly like uh, there is is, a... There is a slaver, and I'm a slave, and the slaver is like with a whip all the time. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think I think I, I still have the, the, uh, the hands up. 
and uh, can you see? Him? Oh, Cat, you got your hand up. Oh yeah, I was going to say. Uh, I was going to say something came to my mind. I was going to say why? Yeah, the sense of feeling punished when you're in a really wholesome state, and there is this very underlying sense of I'll be punished if I share this with people. You know, like there. Yeah, it's a weird feeling of you're going to be punished if you express your how good you feel inside and if you just keep on the mask of the you know the don't just blank out then everything uh -huh. will be safe and okay okay does it have any of the quality of i've got a secret yeah a little bit a little <laughs> bit like yeah but i okay. i feel really good but i know if I start showing this, it's gonna kind of freak people out. Mm -hmm. I know. And yet you don't because you assume that they'll freak out. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you don't go around experimenting to see if you can find people who actually like it. I never have before. That's, I think that's why it's still very underlying. I've never found people that have that quality or that, that wholesome. Well, I would highly recommend go find some Asian people to be around, especially those that are what? Southeast Asian people are, are, uh, are friendly like that. Hmm. I understand that there are parts of England where friendly people are hard to come by. In fact, uh, Jerry mentioned something to me about um, uh, treating policemen very happy and and uh pleasant and he says in my neighborhood uh <clears throat> they'll they'll take that as manipulation yeah. and bash your head in just for the fun of it <laughs> and so it they does think you're joking with them. they think you're uh well the phrase in the uk is like taking the piss with them you know like you're just uh -huh. trying to play with them poke out right them. taking you're the nice. mickey out of them guess what we yeah. are we are deep down inside we are <laughs> and they know it <laughs> but how do you treat a policeman i mean what exactly what, what? it yeah in a way you have to be very much on top of the game because i'm asking a hypothetical situation and the answer to that is you got to be alert and awake on the ground so that you know how to handle it. But wait a minute, isn't that true about everything? Every encounter? Is to stop acting like we normally act and start acting with um, strong in intention to avoid dukkha, to take the easy way out. That's the way of saying it. Always look on the bright side of life is another way of saying it, but that always in there means that if you don't do it one time then you have to feel bad but then you're feeling bad right now and if you'd look on the bright side of life you wouldn't feel bad about making a mistake before so the whole point is is that continue to live in the moment because the moment is quite nice and so in that regard about weighing to handle the police is we'll find a way to do it we're here we're watching what's going on We'll find a way of treating him with respect so he can get what he needs. 
but we can do that with everybody. Gosh, you all went silent. It's like, oh my goodness, how am I going to handle the next cop? <gasps> and I just told you, you don't have to figure it out right now. <laughs> but the whole way of doing it is to remember to come back and be in the present moment. The present pleasant moment. The other day, one of the students said, I, I wish that I could be like Eckhart Tolle. I guess you know who Eckhart Tolle is. And the answer to that for me yeah. was, is that, well, Eckhart Tolle spent more than two years on a park bench in London. Go sit down with him in your mind. Just go hang out on that park bench for the next two years. That's all you have to do is nothing at all. Yeah. Uh, rec recently, I started after three years of practicing. <laughs> I, well, I started with Goenka, you know, and a lot of Goenka stuff and Dukkha related and practice. Like two, three months ago, I started to feel good in the present moment. Like, a, like a, it's actually like a really nice. It's actually like a really nice. After three years, it's just a couple of months or so. It's like coming back and everything is like, well, it's like a refuge, refuge of everything. Well, you can give yourself credit for all of those skills that you developed in all of those years when you were practicing almost correctly. Almost so correct. you were at, yeah, and so yeah, you were developing sati. Yeah, yeah. you yeah, you keep coming back. Never mind, start again. Goenka's famous for that one. When the wind wanders away from the breath. Never mind, start again. Been there, done yeah. there. Okay, so that whole point about the sati, to remember to keep going through the body scans, that's the important thing is just to remember to be here now. Because you can't be doing a body scan on the body that's dead and buried. <laughs> you got to do it on this one right here, right now. That you can't watch last month's breath. You got to watch this one right here, right now. So there's a whole lot of really good qualities within the uh, the teaching of um, uh, Gawanka. Don't sell it short. Yeah. He just didn't know about had how to add a teaspoonful of sugar to his medicine ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very grateful, but that was two years very hard work. Still, work hard. Uh huh. Well, now you don't have to work hard anymore. No, no, no. no. That's <laughs> so the whole easy. point. You've gotten the skills now, so you can say, "Never mind." Really, never mind. Start again. Rather than never mind. <laughs> Start again. <laughs> that was that was super funny. <laughs> yeah, we can make it. <gasps> Never mind. Start again. Mm -hmm. It's all a matter of attitude. Yes, Amit, go ahead. Uh, yeah, yesterday I was uh, watching an interview of uh, neuroatomist. Neuroscientist is uh, Jill Bolt Taylor. 
she she she's famous for a very very popular ted talk she had a left brain stroke so only her right brain was uh, active and she took like 8 years to regain her left brain and she was saying that she was quite in a bliss she was in a very and then uh, in this talk she was talking about that the there is this uh, left brain and right brain they have their own personalities the left brain is the one which is more about uh, this rules and regulations putting things in a boxes how i am how i am doing uh, how is my personality looking and the right brain is more about uh, enjoying the moment and uh, i was thinking about uh, so she also wrote a new book called uh, whole brain living and i find this is very kind of similar to this idea of samadhi right to have like all all the parts of brain are in union with, with each other they are they are uh, balanced in harmony But would be what, a good way of saying in tune with each yeah. other in harmony in tune so i i was thinking that okay what we were discussing now is also kind of uh, fitting quite well with the current our current understanding of neuroscience different part of brains with different personalities and yes actually um the left brain right brain um was a co- a concept that was actually quite old that back in the 1960s they were still doing lobotomies and things like that that they stopped doing as well as they developed um a more holistic part like the frontal cortex is all frontal cortex there's no reason to cut it in half and say left brain and right brain so um there is quite a lot to be said though about the evolutionary development of the brain in the sense of <clears throat> the old what they call reptilian brain the anterior cortex which actually looks like the, like the brain of an alligator and then over time the mammalian brain which we also call the temporal lobe which is the um uh the place where we learned to cooperate and communicate with each other and then the later development of the frontal lobe was what makes humans humans even the other mammals don't have it but dogs have a language actually dogs have fairly complicated language uh many animals have a complicated language and that many animals are capable of learning a lot about human language if if we would teach them just like we would teach a child we could teach a dog to know the difference between a ball and a uh, um a rag doll or things like that so we just don't bother to teach them at at that level but we have that same part of the brain as they do we're just more capable of remembering a whole lot of other stuff rather than the animals but other than that we're just other animals on the evolutionary train or who knows what's going to happen after that we're just kind of you know doing our thing as humans and that in fact the, the humans have a much higher opinion of themselves than they deserve both at an individual and a collective level and so um this is part of the reason why we wind up being so miserable is because we set standards for ourselves so high that we go we watch tv and we see an olympic champion 
And now everybody wants to be an Olympian champion and everybody feels bad because I can't be an Olympian champion. We go from one that thing to the next to the next feeling bad because we keep finding stars in various places, no one of which we can actually match up to. Where the reality of the situation is, hey, I'm good enough like I am now. I don't have to win any contest. I've already won all the contests I need to win. Let's stop having contest. Let's stop trying to figure out who I am by comparing myself with others. Because that's loaded with dukkha. And so that's that's that back to that Silabhata Paramasa. Let's stop comparing ourselves or competing with other people. That if, if the whole teaching of the Buddha is all about friendship, then once we are able to make friends with our own warts, once we make friends with our deep, dark, dirty past, once we recognize we're actually just ordinary people like everybody else, who all of us feel guilty or honor bound about whatever we've done in the past, we recognize we can just get rid of it, just throw that out, just be okay, we're all right. We can live in the present moment happily. And there's, that's all there really is to it. You're alive. Enjoy being alive. Because you're, you're not, you're not permanent. You're not a soul. You're going to die. You can't postpone life. That's one of the qualities. That's one of the good ideas about believing in rebirth and reincarnation. Oh, I can be so lazy. I'll get another chance next time. And the next time after that. But the reality is, is that life is precious. Live in a paradise. Let's live as if we did know that. Because every moment is a good moment. When we have no self to protect, no soul to protect. This paradise is not dangerous. The only danger is between my ears. <laughs> so what do you guys think? What about no self? Last thing I can say about it is sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. That was out of a television commercial for uh, Peter Paul Amon's Joy whether you feel like a nut or not, okay? So sometimes you're selfish and sometimes you're not. Sometimes there's a self and sometimes they're not. Wakey, wakey, watch what's going on because if you become selfish, that's painful. I I don't want to open another long discussion, but why are so many other traditions talking about higher self all the time? Like the higher self or the ultimate self. Well, they're just being jealous of those who already have that higher self. What is that higher self? The noble, the one who is capable of saying, hey, man, I'm on top of my game. They're jealous. They think about a higher self rather than just saying, hey, man, here we are. It's all a matter of an attitude. But everybody else, instead of hearing that as a stupid spiritual argument, as spiritual materialism, they'll get all magically minded 
and saying, oh, that means that there's a self up there someplace, a higher self, maybe a God, maybe I'll be something special. So that's where a lot of this idea of higher self comes from, is is the Hindu Brahman, or it's the uh, an, an ideal existence, this out of reality. And we can't get an ideal existence. We can't get a permanent, uh, perfect existence. But we can darn sure enjoy whatever existence we've got. While all of them people are looking for a higher goal, a higher self, they're not experiencing with great joy the existence that they do have. It's not good enough. But you've got a choice. Cat, you've got a choice. Is your life going to be good enough right now? I didn't mean forever. Sorry, I didn't want to corner you or anything. I just said right now. <laughs> the 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 emperor the phrase of the emperor of the of the own pile of dirt. This this I think uh, it got this clicked something in me a few few when when first time I, mean, I heard a few months ago. This is key thing. This is, I feel, is a key thing. I think is uh, is look is it Lokutara, uh, the 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 sup the um, Lokutara. This word. Lokutara, right? That's actually the word that is translates to above it's, the world or to the supramundane. Yes. Above this, it this all. This to be. This, this to me is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but this works. This works. The the practice uh, were different after that. Like, okay, I can be on. I mean, instead of instead of putting all these dukkha in my face and everything was like more like, okay, I can maybe just look from above. This is nice. Yeah. Yes. So. Basically, we could also go down to the point of once we see that the top dog and the bottom dog are only mental attitudes, nothing more, then uh, there's really nothing to it all. This is where we ultimately end up in the peace of nothing. There's nothing to it. Never was. I never had a dog in the fight, and there never was a fight. The fight was between my ears, and now that I recognize that, I could put the war down. There's nothing there. There's nothing to it. Never was anything to it. I can even get over the fact that I was lied to about it. I mean, I went around and see everybody's at war. Everybody's either a top dog or a bottom dog. Whether you're on top of your game or, or what, I mean, whatever CEO or president of whatever country and whatnot like that, you still feel like a bottom dog. No matter how high you climb. 
You got. I mean, if you if even if you're on the top of the heap, you got people that's pulling on your pants legs, pulling on your belt. They're gonna pull you down. Why? Because you're on top, and they want to be. And so there's always this competition that's built right into our society. And when you see that, you can stop arguing with it. You can stop playing that game. And just say, wait a minute, I don't have to follow those rules. I don't have to jump in. Yeah, if the if the if the globe gets warmer, I can handle the heat. Maybe all those people who can handle the heat will do something about it and then I don't have to do anything. Just take it easy. The easy way out. The easy way out is that there's nothing to it. <laughs> Just let it go because there was nothing to it in the first place. We thought it was heavy. We thought it was important. When the only thing that's important is this next breath. One breath at a time. One breath at a time, one moment at a time, right here, right now, this is all we've got. And wow, it's nice when you know how to appreciate it. So does anybody have any final, how about a minute? Do you have anything to say as we finish the day? No, I think I am uh, very satisfied now. So I, will, I will enjoy the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, excellent. How about you, Kat? Are you still are you ready to feel good now? Yeah. Yeah, I feel good. <laughs> all right. As long as I remember, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's right. That's all you have to do is remember. <laughs> Guys, very good. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. It was wonderful. We'll see you. See you next time. See you, everybody. All right. Yes, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. I really appreciate Bye. it. I get Thank a lot you. of fun out of this. This is so much fun. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> All right. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.